Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph. My name is David Law, commentator for BT Sport, where I've just been talking about tennis for the past week in Singapore at the WTA Finals. And I'm now Catherine Whittaker at 2.48am local time, sitting in Dubai Airport, uh, talking into my mobile phone, which is why you might find that the sound isn't quite as good as it normally is because my microphone is just broken and uh, I don't really know what day it is but um, you know that's just a minor point it's been a fantastic week of tennis how are you how's Rosie (laughs) I'm I'm very well thank you we are slowly but surely uh, ticking off uh, those destinations on the list of weird and wonderful travel-based locations that we can record a podcast in around the world uh, so thank you for uh, for contributing to that this week. Uh, Rosie and I have parted ways for a short while again. I'm, I'm not, back at not, home. I was going to say, not permanently. No, absolutely not permanently. If I could smuggle her with me, uh, that would be great. But uh, she's got some snoring to do in front of tennis with my yes. mum and dad. She has become rather a, a, <laughs> a, a, a an overnight sensation after uh, pictures of her. If you haven't seen this, go to at Tennis Podcast on Twitter or Facebook and have a look at uh, Rosie Whittaker, tennis fan, enjoying the Andy Murray against Joe Wilfred Songa match um, by snoring and looking the opposite direction. It was, it's very soporific having a snoring dog sort of lounging across your legs. I was doing my very best to concentrate and really uh, absorb and analyse that match for, uh, for, for tennis podcast purposes. But uh, having, yeah, having, having, Sophie, <laughs> having Rosie asleep uh, on my feet was, um, yeah, it was lulling me to sleep. I had to stop myself from, from drifting off with her on occasion. I should hope so. I'm quite, I'm quite disappointed in Rosie, really. You know, uh, I mean, a, a Whitaker dog. Just she's that a tennis ball fan, a big tennis ball fan. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it takes a lot to pique her interest. Yes. Well, if if you do want to be convinced by her 
ability to get excited about tennis witness the high five that she gave uh, Catherine also on Twitter all the good stuff's on there I mean you know we've sold it to you now haven't we uh, not if you're not a dog fan it's not all the good stuff no. if you're not a dog fan stay steer clear of our social media uh, channels this week but or, frankly or any, if you're not a dog any, fan what are you playing at yeah, get or any, the program any pet fan really um because it's become a bit of a pet sanctuary oh, yeah. Hasht- all of its I own. see hashtag tennis podcast pets on the agenda again this week. My eyes lit up, David. Yeah, well, I think we've covered it now. So, you know, no. uh, we, we, we've just done it early. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> no, we haven't. No, no, because I've got an update, actually. Babs, the, the turkey that was submitted to hashtag tennis podcast pets. Uh, last week, I think I, I, I brought the grave news that she was... Um, she was nearing the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, this week I bring you the rather more positive news that she has turned a, a very significant corner and seems to be making a miraculous recovery, quite possibly because of the uh, positive vibes that were sent out to her via last week's Dennis podcast. Yeah, the newfound fame has uh, just given her a, re- a reason to live. So yeah, uh, fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Anyway, I suppose we're about to talk about tennis, given it's a tennis podcast, aren't we? Um, and, uh, well, I've just been in Singapore, as I said, for the past week, covering the most fantastic matches. Uh, I think the, the event is, is good. I think it's, um, it's less spectacular than the O2, certainly, in terms of, I mean, the, the, the turnout of, of, of fans is just not even remotely comparable. It's a 10,000-seat stadium. They were doing one session a day. Um, and for the majority of the tournament, it was about half full, I would say. Uh, the, the, first, the first day and then the last two days were, were much, much better, many more people. Um, it still feels like a good atmosphere because it's all in the dark for a start. They put the crowd in the dark the way they do at the O2, and you know, they, they make a lot of noise. It's an indoor stadium. It keeps the noise in. So it's actually a, quite, quite a good atmosphere, but just a disappointing number of people. Um, talking to uh, local people who work there, a lot of the, the view is that it's due to not necessarily being an event place, Singapore. Um, and, and obviously some of the really big household names weren't there. Maria Sharapova for obvious reasons, Serena Williams had pulled out uh, Victoria Azarenka wasn't there, so some of the, the more famous people that they would have had in previous years even people like Anna Ivanovic and Caroline Wozniacki who are, are known more worldwide were not there, so that probably hurt the crowds as well, but honestly who cares, I mean it was just the most fantastic run of matches and with one of the, the best Stories at the end of it that I can remember in a long time at one of these tour finals. I mean, Dominika Sibokova, she she is just a joy to watch play tennis and and carry herself. I, I was thinking halfway through, you know, why haven't we already done a a, a video of of her life and her um, her career to to show young kids not not just tennis players but anybody i mean she, she, i find her inspiring yeah I, I think a new audience has become aware of dominika sibelkova this year and obviously particularly this week last week 
Um, I think the tennis world has been aware of her and, and her ability to, to light up a tennis court, to light up light up a room, I think, for, for a long time. But I think perhaps what happened at Wimbledon, reaching the quarterfinals there, and that story about how uh, she had her wedding booked for, for women's finals day, and uh, if she did make it through to that point, then she, uh, she would have to reschedule her wedding in the end. She didn't have to. Uh, and these wonderful pictures emerged of, uh, of her on her wedding day. Um, yeah, I think that drew people's attention to her a little bit. Um, and then, of course, what's happened, uh, what's happened in Singapore will hopefully, hopefully uh, only do that more so because she deserves all the attention. She, she's, she's fantastic, isn't she? She's just a little... Well, it's all the cliches. She's pocket rocket she's you know she's an inspiration to to women under five foot seven everywhere and blokes over six foot six i can tell you because <laughs> I, I was inspired by it uh, but i mean the, one of my favorite moments of the entire week was when she was playing svetlana kuznetsova we'll get on to kuznetsova in a minute but a fantastic match and Sibokova holds serve and needs one more break to get through to the final sits down jumping up and down you know tapping her feet getting all excited and she just suddenly stops and looks at the umpire and goes what's the score <laughs> had absolutely no idea what the score was and she well she was 5-4 up a game away from the from the final um, and did anybody ask her about that was that a a blip or did she make a conscious decision not to to, to try and keep too close a track of the score. I'm not sure. I'm not possible. sure. I mean, I, I think she just completely lost in the moment. I mean, here was somebody. She is so good at compartmentalising and keeping one point at a time. And I don't think I've, I've never seen anybody as intense, relentlessly intense as Sibokova in a positive way. It's all outward looking. None of it's. I mean, we saw her play Simona Halep, and she actually beat Halep relatively comfortably. And and the difference in their body language, Halep's energetic and intense, but a lot of it is directed inwardly and, and critically at herself. And unless she changes something, that that's going to hold her back. Um, Sybil Kova gets the absolute maximum out of herself pretty much at all times. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. There's absolutely no self-flagellation at all with Dominika Sibokova. It is all positivity. And I know it's such a cliche you've got to be positive and 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 not one point at a time and not dwell on mistakes and everything and that's so much easier said than done if you're not that sort of character naturally I can attest to this it is incredibly difficult but that's obviously I I mean I don't doubt that an enormous amount of hard work has gone into it as well but it that does seem her natural disposition that she is a sunny positive character and just seems unable to turn it off and why would you want her to because she she lights up every room that she walks into and she's fantastic and the whole it was such a fitting narrative the the whole week and particularly that final because that what happened in this week and what happened in the final was the story of of women's tennis this year it was sort of the the established expected player reaching the final and everyone assume everyone assuming okay she's going to do this now that of course now being Kerber and uh, the the, uh, the plucky upstart in Sybil Kova that everybody's saying oh she's done really well to get to the final what a story 
but you know of course you've got to step aside now for the uh, for the anointed champion and then lo and behold she goes and does it it's what Kerber did to Serena in Australia it's what Muguruza did to Serena in Australia okay Wimbledon Serena the very rightful champion and um, and normal service was slightly resumed it was what Pliskova did to Serena in New York and it just all seemed so fitting I think yeah it it did it did feel quite like the Australian Open final actually in, in terms of um the just sheer unremitting joy that 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 overcame Dominica Sibylkova, and and it was an extraordinary feeling uh, to, for me there. I was covering it for BT Sports, commentating throughout, and um, I I was the first person aside from the communication manager of the WTA to actually speak to Sibylkova straight after match point because uh, I was doing the live interviews for BT Sport. Let's, let's just have a, have a quick she, listen to, to, to what, uh, what Sibylkova had to say. Something that I cannot put into words how to describe how I feel, you know, I just, I just know the, the match point was, was, was really tight, really close and I put the ball over the net and it was just the happiest moment in my life. That last game, how did you hold your nerve? Yeah, I, you know, I knew I have to hold it, you know, to, to, to keep it together because uh, against Angie you have to earn every point. And of course, it wasn't easy the first match points. I realized, okay, I'm playing for something big. But then, you know, I just knew um, I cannot lose my head, and I was really, really focused. Many congratulations. Go on, lift that trophy. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's uh, Dominika Sobolkova, literally 30 seconds after celebrating that uh, that victory over uh, Angelique Kerber. Fantastic. She shook Kerber's hand and she said, where's David Law? I need to chat. Well, you know, I mean, uh, There's only one man I want to celebrate this moment with. He's six foot seven. He's over there. I tell you, actually, because they, you know, you're supposed to have the sort of eye line of the player looking more or less... <laughs> head height. I, I mean, Anne Kjothathong thought it was hilarious looking at me on court. You couldn't see this on TV, but uh, on court, I was basically stooping uh, double in order to, uh, to speak to her to anything remotely uh, eye level. So um, anyway, but she's a very nice um, uh, woman is uh, Dominika Zibokova, as, as nice a woman as she is a player to watch, really, uh, really is. Um, Angelique Kerber... Not victorious on this occasion, but I, I, I've just been reading on the flight um, from Singapore to Dubai here an article in Forbes magazine by Daniel Rossing about the impact that Kerber is having on the game in Germany and, and that she'd had something like 100 media requests for the off-season, many of them TV shows. Um, and it really does feel like she's reigniting interest uh, in Germany. I mean, I think sometimes you can get champions that don't catch on and I don't think Kerber is the obvious sort of um, flag bearer for a, for an, an interest level in a, in a sport necessarily but I think she's really she's really caught public opinion over there in, in Germany and they, and they have latched on they've started having terrestrial TV covering it Well that's really, really fantastic to hear, I mean I think they're pretty picky in Germany aren't they they've been spoiled in the way that that other great historic tennis nations have been spoiled you know like the states you know if they're not world number one then uh, you know 
I'll pay attention when uh, he or she reaches a Grand Slam final, that kind of thing. Well, you know, <laughs> she, she's earned the attention now, I think, and I'm pleased that that is forthcoming because, uh, yeah, you're right, she's not... She doesn't embody perhaps what you expect of a of a headline grabbing superstar of of sport. She's uh, she's pretty low key. She doesn't have that Serena Williams swagger. Um, but boy, is she earned being world number one. And I I think she might stay there for a little while and and keep that spotlight on her actually. Well, she's certainly enjoying it. There's no question about that. Now, in the semi-finals, the other big story of the week was Svetlana Kuznetsova. Not only, obviously, we talked about her a, a, a week ago, but not only did she get in at the last minute possible, she performed extraordinarily. Her, her, her two wins in the, in the group stages over Radvanska and Pliskova, not, I mean, the tennis she was playing was just wonderful in its own right, but the fight... The, the energy, the emotion she put into it, the imagination she put into her tennis and the match against Sibokova that she eventually lost at the end there. But, ah, I, I mean, again, not a player that my, my eye immediately gets drawn to in a draw, necessarily. But I think that will change after this week. With her and Sibokova, I, I, I will look at them in a different way. Yeah, which is strange given they're both sort of relatively, obviously particularly Kuznetsova, in the uh, in the twilights of their career. Um, but yeah, again, I, I think Kuznetsova's won a whole new audience this week. I mean, she, she tweeted today that she was exhausted and very much looking forward to a rest, but also that she was already missing the competition. And boy, did that show. I mean, she just thrives on competition. And I don't think every top-level tennis player does. I think a lot of top-level tennis players thrive on winning and playing really, really good tennis. But thriving on the competition and on those tight moments is a very, very specific thing. A lot of them have it. A lot of the champions, obviously, have it. And she is a two-time Grand Slam champion. It's very easy to forget that. But it's no accident that, you know... Those two victories in the group stages were 7-5 and 7-6 in the third. She provided some quite magnificent entertainment. Uh, that I mean, that white group was fantastic. Four out of six matches going uh, to uh, deciding sets. And, yeah, two of them 7-5 in the third, one of them 7-6 in the third. And, and uh, as I said, Kuznets were involved in two of those. She was, yeah, she was the second biggest story of the week and the fact that she did it hot on the heels of of Moscow I mean she was probably rivaling you David for lack of sleep coming into the WTA finals this year and that is very much saying something I haven't even been to bed yet it's uh, apparently on my body clock at the moment it's about eight in the morning (laughs) anyway not to worry um now uh one of the great features of uh, the, the WTA finals is that they bring over some of the, the ambassadors of the sport, some of the great champions of the, of the past. We saw Monica Seles uh, with us, and, and I had a chance to have a little chat with her. There was Arantxa Sanchez, Martina Navratilova, who was commentating with us a lot on BT Sport. And um, also Chris Evert, who is somebody... I haven't spoken to her very much over the years. I don't know her particularly well, but I had an opportunity to speak to her on BT Sport. It's an interview we can play for you now. And she started off by talking about Angelique Kerber. You know, I was surprised. I was surprised this year 
Um, I was a little surprised when she won the Australian Open, and then the fact that she followed it up uh, by winning the U.S. Open, and then she's 3-0 and at the WTA Finals. So she clearly deserves the number one ranking. Um, she's really developed, uh, I think, a tougher skin. You know, she's mentally and emotionally a lot stronger on the court, and she has that belief now. And her game, she's tweaked it to, to a little bit more power on her serve and her groundies. And, you know, she's a changed woman this year, so it's, it's really nice to see. And next year, it, it, it presents a, a real challenge for her because Serena's going to be back and Maria Sharapova and maybe um, – Azarenka, so it's going to be 2017 shaping up to be a really competitive year. We obviously, as a British audience, have a great interest in Johanna Conta, who missed out on the last match of the season of qualifying yeah. here. What do you make of her rise? She had a great year. I enjoyed watching her play. Uh, that that serve is powerful when she gets her first serve in there. You know, I think that really sets up the rest of her game and gives her the confidence to, to win matches. She's really developing a champion mentality, you know, which we didn't see a few years back. But I think she's, um, you know, changing and growing and, and really shaping her game. And I think she's potentially, uh, she could do some damage in the Grand Slams coming up next year. Could she win one of them? That's that's a hard, I don't know if she can win one because that would mean that she would have to have really four great wins in a row. So I don't know. I mean, she's certainly capable of it. I mean, we looked at Pliskova this year. She was a surprise finalist at the U.S. Open. So you, you, you can never tell. You can never say never. But she would have to really, really be focused and, and uh, mentally tough if she were to win a Grand Slam. You mentioned Serena, that you think she will be back strong again next year. Do you think she'll end up breaking all the records? I think Serena has one or two left in her. Uh, for sure one, you know, and, and I think she still has the best game on grass of any of the players when she's on. When With that powerful serve, winning free points, with her, with her ground strokes, with her moving around the court, Wimbledon is still her tournament. Um, but I, I definitely think that she will get motivated and win one more, and then she would break Steffi Croft's record. A couple of final thoughts. Monica Seles is somebody I saw you sitting next to uh, over the last couple of days. Yeah. Great to see her, isn't it? I just wonder, given that she won eight slams as a teenager, where do you think she might have ended up if she hadn't have suffered the tragedy yeah. that she well, did? Well, you know, she was uh, number one, and she had just won the last Grand Slam, I believe, in Australia and when she got stabbed, and then she was out of the, out of the uh, game for two and a half years. Um, I think she would have, she could have won probably three or four more and taken those away from Steffi. Um, she definitely could have won more, and it's really unfortunate. She is one of the greatest of all time, and she just, it was just, uh, had an unfortunate um, thing happen to her where I think she, it just, not only physically but mentally and emotionally, it found you know, she, it was tougher to get back in the game and to get that competitive spirit. She had that fear afterwards. So, but she definitely could have won three or four more, and maybe even more than that. I mean, she her game was, she was just unbeatable. And lovely to see her back here now. Yes. As it is yourself, alongside Martina Navratilova, I was looking up the record. 80 times you played one another in competitive competition, incredibly close head to head. Martina is part of our team. I see you now, and I see you now together. There seems to be a real camaraderie between the two of you. I remember how competitive it yeah. was back in the day. What, what, what do you think when you think of Martin and Navratilova these days? 
she's a good friend of mine. You know, we have no competition between us. I think that that really put um, a little damper on the relationship when we were, for those 18 years when we were competing against each other, most of those 18 years, either she was number one and I was number two, or I was number one and she was number two. And, and there was just a lot of a lot of tension. And and I think that considering the tension, we still did considerably very, very well in respecting each other and having each other as friends and having each other's backs, even during the worst circumstances. But right now, we it's so funny because we live you know, within 35 minutes of each other, and um, we're friends, and, and there's just, there's no pressure anymore. We can have a glass of wine, or we can, you know, hit some balls, or do whatever we want, and, and, and uh, I think that finally I can get to know her better, and she can get to know me better, and, and we don't, we don't feel threatened by each other anymore. And I suppose you shared something that nobody else no, yeah. you ever could share that with. You know what, at the end of the week, we were the only ones left in the locker room. Let's put it that way. And on every Sunday when we played each other, one of us would be comforting the other one, whoever lost. And that was going on behind the scenes, and people didn't see that. So there was always that caring, and there was always um, the compassion that was there that that uh, I think was, was very deeply rooted. And so, you know, that was, that was always there, and that's even there more than, than ever now. Lovely to see you here. Thanks for joining okay, thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So there's Chris Everts, Catherine. Now, she's talked there about Kerber, Serena, Joe Conta, and ended up talking about Martina Navratilova at the end there in a way that I found really quite touching in as much as... I mean, we, we've spoken about how they used to have, obviously, such a compelling rivalry, but then it, it has ended up being cast aside, really, in, in the name of their, their friendship. But... When she talks about 
the two of them being the only two players left in the locker room at the end of the week. And, I mean, they had 80 matches, as I said in the interview. I mean, it's, ex- it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? And, and I, just a little glimpse into what life was like for them 35 years ago. Yeah, a fascinating glimpse for me, and I'm sure a lot of other listeners of my generation, not that we're of different generations, Dave, we're sort of spanning one single generation, I suppose, but uh, crucially, you know, I don't really remember those Everett Navratilova days. I remember the very tail end of of Navratilova's singles career, but, you know, I, I don't remember their rivalry firsthand. Obviously, I know a lot about it now um but i found that really insightful and revealing and and it's amazing how and i'm i'm sure it's returned by all of them but how these legends speak about martina navratilova i've i've heard similar things from from billy jean king uh, down the years and and how a rivalry can turn and morph into a friendship we saw similar similar thing but you know Roger Federer's speech at the opening of Rafael Nadal's academy if you haven't seen that and uh, if you have seen it and, and not shed a tear over it then uh, then you're of harder heart than me because it's uh, it's quite something and you know I've seen the way John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg greet one another when they see one another at, at events and it's something that uh, I'm I'm not sure I I I'll ever fully understand. It's it's something very unique and special. Yeah, very special to them. Absolutely right. So, Catherine, we haven't spoken about Andy Murray yet. He, he's getting close to number one in the world. I mean, you know, he's now won three tournaments in a row. Um, Beijing, Shanghai. You were there in Vienna a week ago for tiebreak tens, and and you know. I mean, uh, Dominic Team beat him in the final of that, but he got knocked out relatively early on, and and Murray just rolls on. He he is he is putting together. I, I read I read some statistics that um, uh, Djokovic's first half of the year his record was forty four wins and three defeats, and Murray's currently the latter half of the year on forty two wins and three defeats, and so they're virtually identical. Um, and that is borne out by the fact that he could become world number one in a week's time. Now, certain results would have to go in that direction. Djokovic would have to lose before the final f- f- for that to happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, amazing, really. What a run. It is, it is amazing how real it suddenly now is. Even, you know, a couple of weeks ago when, when that, that emerged about what would have to happen in Vienna and Paris for him to get there and it suddenly became that very real possibility after he won Shanghai. I still even thought then there are just too many variables now to really, really think about it. But now there are really there are only two variables and I, I just wonder when the nerves will start to set in for Andy Murray. My s- suspicion is that they would, while it's not... in his hands he can just go about his business and think well there's no point me stressing about it because you know I've got to bet on the world number one not reaching the final and the chances are that he will but as soon as or if Djokovic crashes out boy boy, does it get interesting in a way that Murray's never experienced interesting before in his career And, and if 
that happens, you know, it'll dep- it's so much going to happen between now and then. We don't even know that will happen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if that happens, if Djokovic goes out, wow, wow. That I mean, all eyes on Andy Murray. He's he's ne- he's been in a whole lot of positions, but he's never been in that one. He would be the oldest. Um, new world number one and that would be a marker of how much of a struggle and a climb it has been to get here it it, it has taken him when did he turn pro when he was 17 it will have taken him it would have taken him if he does it 12 years to get there and he's been scraping and scraping his way up for that whole time Um, and yeah I mean there's still that that Djokovic factor is, is a big one for me. It's a big variable. He's a big unknown at the moment. And, and I rather suspect that's a, a, a quite handy shield for Murray at the moment from the real emotions that might come with with what could happen this week. But, yeah, it, it, if something happens to Djokovic, wow, does it get interesting. It, it does. Uh, I, I, um, I, I still think it's more likely to happen next year. I just... Uh, I, I, I still can't quite believe that that he could do it all in this bit space of time. It would be such an extraordinary run. Um, it's possible, of course. Um, Djokovic has not got either Marian Vida or Boris Becker with him, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on. Really, don't know what's going on. I mean, whether that had just been planned beforehand or, or what, but it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel quite quite right. Well, Boris Becker is uh, busy watching Strictly Come Dancing, David, so uh, that is an entirely legitimate excuse not to uh, perform one's duties as a tennis coach. Uh, yeah, that, that's, what, Vida, that's why we're doing the, the tennis podcast at 2.30 in the morning, isn't it? Because <laughs> I've had to wait for Strictly to finish. It's a Monday, David. Come on. Pull yourself together. It's a Monday. There's no Strictly Come Dancing on a Monday. Oh, right. Um, do we know why Marion Vider isn't there? Has he explained that? No. Uh, well, I don't yes, know. Yes, it's all... It is... I mean, things are going on. We don't know what they are, but things are going on. It is all... It's fascinating, but it's not good. I mean, he's been the mainstay. He's been the father figure. Um, you know, they... I can't remember a time not seeing Marion Vider there at a certainly at a master series event i mean that, well that i mean is, they, they they've just tended to to do it as a relay haven't they because marion vider's got a young family and he didn't want to travel all the time they've just been handing the baton between each other i mean i wonder whether it's uh, even a, a small um similarity to to when andy murray would would send amelie moresmo up into the the gods of the stadium you know because he just needed to have a change or because she didn't want to be there. Uh, I wonder whether they've just decided, look, let's try this, because nothing else is working. Maybe, but that's a bit, you know, okay, so it's not been working for the past few months, but it's it's worked pretty well for an awful long time. That's, I'd say that's pretty knee-jerk if it is a strategic decision, personally, because, you know, it's been a formula that has been near-perfect for a lot of the last two or three years in tennis, so... Yeah, I, I, I can't help but see it as some sort of symptom of, of whatever it is that is befalling Novak Djokovic at the moment. And we don't know. I just, that there's some, something's going on. Something's going on, for sure. 
Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see uh, how how this week evolves in um, in Paris. Now, uh, we didn't mention last week uh, Juan Martín del Potro's title, which we should have done. Uh, that was in Stockholm, wasn't it? His first title since coming back. I think we've said all we need to really say about del Potro and what a wonderful story he's become over the last uh, year. Um, Marin Cilic was a winner in uh, Basel, so he's going well as well. I, I still think we're going to see a lot of him at some of the very big events, and he actually stands a decent chance of getting into uh, the O2 now that Nadal's not going to go. Um, so we'll look forward to that. Catherine, big one that for Ch- I mean, th- this year for Chilich, given that he's barely been talked about at all, he's won a Masters 1000 and a, and a 500 now. You know, this, this has been a, a big year for him. Yeah, it has been a big year for him. Uh, should we do pole vault, Catherine, before I go to yeah. sleep? Is there not any other sort of more tennessy, meaty tennis stuff that we could talk about? No. No. What about no. the race to the O2? What about that? What's Dominic Team playing at? Crashing out early in Vienna. That was a bit of a disaster. He's it's tough for him now. He's in a real fight in Paris this week. Yeah, it's turning into a monologue now. You're not you're not going to respond to me unless it's pole vault, are you? Well, you know you can't put it off forever, Catherine. <laughs> and pole vault's there. We're going to do can. it. I can. What else can I talk about? Fascinating conversation, <laughs> really is, Catherine. I'm glad you picked up the baton. Um, <laughs> now, uh, is uh, that uh, baton that, that Marion Vider and Boris Becker have dropped? Yeah, you will like this though, Catherine, because the first item on pole vault just uh, kind of proves your point. I'm afraid to say our listeners haven't got a clue what they're talking about because uh, well, I did a pole vault predictions uh, before the final of the WTA finals. Angelique Kerber against Dominika Sibylkova. 84% said that Kerber would win. 3% said that Sybil Kerber would win in straight sets. 3%? What Shame they doing? on you all. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Honestly. That, that's not great. If 2016 has taught us anything, it's expect the unexpected. Yeah, Catherine, Catherine Whittaker, smug. Um, yeah. uh, smug so, after the fact. Second item on the agenda. Uh, Angelique Kerber will finish 2016 as the world number one. At the end of 2017, she will be either number one, number two, number three to five, or number six to ten. What do you think? I think she'll definitely be one or two. Um... I don't, I'm not. If I say one, that is not to say that I am writing Serena Williams off. I think Serena Williams will win the record-breaking Grand Slam next year. She's, she will she's win not likely to play one. enough, though, is she? That's the thing. But, I mean, yeah, she's reached exactly. three, three so finals this I'm year. I'm going to say that Kerber will finish the year number one, but that is not before. I get a load of tweets to say that I am writing Serena Williams off. I am not in any way doing that. Okay. Uh, well, 39% said that uh, she would finish number one. Second of all, though, 30% said that she would finish three to five. Uh, 25% reckon that she'll finish number two. Uh, so it's, a, it's relatively well split. Um, but, yeah, most people think she'll finish number one. I, I'm not convinced. I, I don't think she will. I don't think she will. And the reason is because I think it's really hard to back up a season like she's just had with something else resembling it. Um, so now, who will? 
I don't know. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> what do I know about it? Um, anyway, so more pole vaults, Catherine. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, Serena Williams will win X more slams in her career. How many is the big question? I is don't it, know is the well, big answer. You've just got to guess, Catherine. Come on, get into the bloody spirit of it. In her whole career, in the whole remainder of her career, how many? Yeah, she you, win? you can have zero, one, two, or more than two. Two. Twenty-nine percent agree with you. Twenty-nine percent also say she'll win more than two. Fifteen percent say she'll win zero. Roger Federer, how many will he win before the end of his career? Thousand votes, Catherine. Thousand votes for this one. Sixty-seven percent of those votes say that he won't win any at all. Twenty-eight percent reckon he'll win one. Three percent, the diehards, reckon he'll win two, and two percent reckon he'll win more than two. I don't know what they've been smoking. I don't think he's winning two, and I don't think he's winning more than two. But I still just irrationally think that he's got one in him. I do. Okay. I do. And I know it, that's starting to look, um, well, yeah, rational. Preposterous. <laughs> it is not preposterous. It he's, is not preposterous. The bloke hasn't played for six months. He's about 42. Well, he's had six months of rest. Hey, my dad had uh, surgery on his meniscus a week ago. <laughs> Your dad is not going to win a grand My mum is having to barricade the doors to stop him l- sneaking out onto a tennis court. He is fit and raring to go. It, you know, laparoscopic surgery has come on a long, <laughs> long way. With six months rehab, he'll be, you know, in world number one form again. With all due respect to your dad. <laughs> Um, is he going to win a slam? Uh, get your votes in. Uh, Rafael Nadal will win X number of Grand Slams before he finishes. This is, this is why I did this. I find it quite interesting because I did the same question for Sharapova, Nadal, Federer and Serena. Now, Serena obviously is going to be the most likely, I would have thought. But who is most likely out of, Seri- out of Sharapova, Nadal, and Federer to win zero Grand Slams or to win some? What do you think? Nadal. To win zero, it makes me heavy-hearted to say this, but I I don't think he will win any more Slams. Crikey, that's quite interesting. More more people think that Nadal will win Slams than the other two in our poll. Oh, crikey. Yeah, 926 votes. 59% 59% think that Nadal will win no more Grand Slams, uh, whereas 67% thought that Federer won't win anymore, and 65% think that Sharapova won't win anymore. Um, but actually, there are only... Yeah, I mean, 29% reckon Nadal will win one more. Um, but there's you know, there's not many. There's not many. Actually, I mean, it's quite a similar spread for Sharapova, Nadal, and Federer. Um, it sounds like consensus there, or... or perhaps not consensus, but majority is feeling that not one of them will win. The most likely scenario is that none of them will win another slam. I would say so, yeah. I I would say that that's uh, that's definitely the... That's what the stats stats in Paul's are telling us. The changeth. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I, I I think I'd probably go along with that, actually. Probably. Um... Oh, dear. I'd say 50-50 on that, that one of them could win a, win a slam before they finish from where we are now. Goodness me. 
Catherine, I, I, I can barely keep my eyes open right now, so I think we better finish this, <laughs> this edition of the Tennis Podcast while I'm still conscious. Um, uh, it's been very nice to talk to you, as always. Nice to talk to you listeners. Anything else to say, Catherine? No, but it sounds like the lady on the tunnel, he does. Yeah, well, she, she just wants to gate-crash the show. Uh, she can go and take a run and jump, as far as I'm concerned. Listen, everybody, thanks for listening to us. Uh, we will be back next week when I'm slightly more conscious than I am right now. Uh, only slightly, guys, yeah, though, only slightly. We've got the ATP finals to look forward to. Catherine's going to be in Zagreb after that for the Davis Cup final. We're going to bring a preview show for you from there. And, uh, yeah, so lots more tennis to talk about. Well, I'll be in at the O2 as well, so we'll, we'll do some stuff from there. But, so uh, will I, David. Oh, goody, goody. I'm pleased to hear it. And we will speak to you lot very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 